This audio is brought to you by Business Radio, powered by Wharton. You're listening to Work of Tomorrow on Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School. Here again is Christian Terbish. Welcome back from the break. I'm Christian Terbish, and this is Work of Tomorrow on Business Radio here on Series XM. Today we're talking about urgent care and emergency care. In the first half of the show, I was talking to Dr. Jesse Pines, an experienced emergency care physician and a leading scholar in the field of emergency medicine. At this time, it gives me great pleasure to welcome our second guest, uh, Sharon Vitti, who is the Senior Vice President and Executive Director at CVS Minute Clinic. Welcome, Sharon. Good afternoon. Hey, Sharon, uh, talk about your background and how your uh, career may uh, advance at Minute Clinic. Sure. I, I've been in healthcare on the administrative side my whole career, and um, I've been with CVS Health probably for the last four and a half years. Um, I came out of academic medicine in a large integrated delivery system, and in there I was uh, um, really uh, helping with ambulatory care and helping to build out that ambulatory care continuum, especially uh, off-site and in the community. And so um, this was a natural fit um, to think about a, um, a national program of clinics of ambulatory care that not only um, is, has a broad reach but also um, is, uh, was disruptive in regards to the whole ambulatory care continuum and, and adding an offer and an option um, that didn't exist uh, probably um, 10 to 12 years ago. And so that's what drew me, drew me to uh, coming to CVS Health and being a part of Minute Clinic. Tell us about the operations of the Minute Clinic and the most common indications that you see in the Minute Clinics. So um, Minute Clinic, we have uh, over 1,100 uh, clinics across uh, the country in 33 states, including the District of Columbia. And what we have is we have clinics that are um, within CVS stores. Um, located typically with the pharmacy. And so we don't have any other um, minute clinics except within the, the CVS stores. And the retail model really um, is thinking about, one, um, being accessible and available to patients in the communities where they live and where they frequent, like a, their local CVS. Um, two, we are looking at making it convenient. And so we have um, you know, broader hours than a physician's office typically will, including evenings and weekends. And uh, more than 50% of the population is in, within 10 miles of a minute clinic. So when we think about convenience and access, those are some of the key uh, value propositions. Um, <clears throat> we are run, uh, we have nurse practitioners or physician's assistants um, in the clinics providing care. And uh, so we are, um, our model is really built on, we don't have a lot of other front desk people or other infrastructure. And so our model also is built to um, create a um, affordable care um, for patients. And so uh, if you look on our website, we're very transparent about, um, you know, where we have clinics, what our wait times are in the clinics, um, what um, services we provide, and then what the cost of services are. So affordable, accessible, and um, uh, high-quality care are the um, pieces that we've uh, built the Minute Clinics on. Sharon, in my discussion with Dr. Pines, I shared my story about an unfortunate recent, recent bike accident I had. Not, nothing major, but some, you know, some bruises and some road rash. Um, 
we decided to go to the CVS and just buy some supplies and kind of fix me up at home. Mm-hmm. But if I had gone to a minute clinic, what would have been the workflow? I would have entered. Again, this is not somebody who is dying. I would have driven myself to the clinic. Uh, what if, would have been the workflow for me kind of registering at the <coughs> clinic? What type of care would I have gotten? So um, we are we are walk-in, or you could have um, uh, reserved your place in line prior to coming in. So we're trying to make that easy for patients that, like you said, maybe get off your bike and just wanted to go get care. So you could walk right into Minna Clinic without an appointment. Or if you, you know, uh, wanted to do some planning, you could also go online and um, what we call hold your place in line or schedule a future visit. But you would come into the CVS and you would check in in the kiosk. The kiosk would either recognize you if you were a previous patient at Minna Clinic, or you'd have to put in some pretty standard um, information about yourself um, to help us make sure that we um, can identify you and associate that with our electronic health record. Um, one of the key questions we ask at that time of registration is, do you have a PCP? Um, and with that, we one. Um, uh, would make sure we'd ask you if you would allow us to send this information to your PCP. That's an important part of our model to make sure that we're connecting all of your care and communicating with your care team. You would come in to the, um, you would be in the waiting room if there's a wait. Um, there would be a uh, video board, a visual board that would show you where you were relative to the other people waiting for um, a visit with the nurse practitioner, the PA. And um, it would estimate your wait time, so you could, uh, you know, you could plan accordingly. You would be called in by the nurse practitioner or the PA, the physician's assistant, and um, we have uh, typically two exam rooms. And uh, within that exam room, you would, uh, they, you would sit down, and the provider would um, do three components of the visit. The first component would be to um, finish off your registration, make sure that all your consents are in place. Um, uh, and then would ask you how you, you know, if you have insurance, make sure we get your insurance registered. Uh, if you're a minor, you know, we would do all of that information relative to um, your, uh, your parent being there. Um, at that point, we would then get into the visit. And we would also let you know, you know, what the, if you're paying out of pocket, what the uh, average cost for the visit would be at that time. Um, obviously, if we can cover your insurance, we'd let you know at that time. And we, the majority of our patients, more than 85% of our patients have um, insurance that we take at the Minna Clinic. Um, at that point, we would switch into the, um, the, the, the medical visit. And um, the nurse practitioner or the, the physician's assistant would go through uh, very similarly to what uh, any provider would do, um, asking you about why you were here, what, um, what's going on. Um, they would... Uh, take a full history, um, they would be checking your vitals, and they would be um, uh, doing the exam. And so those would be the key pieces to um, being able to diagnose and then come up with a treatment plan for the visit. Um, the next piece, so in getting going through that, um, and they would, be using, um, they would be using the EHR that we have, we have an EPIC, uh, the EPIC system, and they would be working in conjunction with our um, clinical guidelines. So we have um, within built into EPIC um, guidelines that help the uh, uh, nurse practitioner, the provider, and those guidelines are developed, evidence-based guidelines developed from the American Medical Association, American Academy of Family Physicians, et cetera. And that is really important because we want you to have the same experience and the same clinical care 
regardless of which minute clinic you're going into. So, and there would be documentation into the uh, electronic health record um, concurrent to the exam. And then the next part of the uh, visit is the last part of the visit. And that would be where the provider would be um, printing out your end of visit summary with all your instructions. They also, if there's a, a script that has been written, they would be um, asking you where you would like that prescription to be sent and coordinating that part of the care. Um, and then, uh, obviously, if there's any other connections or um, uh, resources that you need to um, have uh, to support your treatment plan, they would be making sure those are in place. And then the last piece would be um, if there's any um, uh, collection of payment that is due at the end of the exam, they would be doing it at the uh, closing out of the visit. Interesting. Now, in my case, a bruised knee, some wound cleaning and wrapping it up, uh, assuming I would pay out of pocket, what would be a rough kind of price range I would be paying here? Um, so the average minute clinic visits about a hundred dollars. If there's any, you know, uh, labs or uh, scripts or anything like that, that w that would be an addition to that amount of money. Now, uh, I'm sure as, as, as somebody who does this at the sense uh, at the scale that you're doing it, you must have some very good time data. Do you have like a work standard time where you would say like based on the steps that you or the app you collect along the way, that nurse practitioner should be spending 17 minutes on me? Or how, how, how do you plan your kind of your workforce and your productivity? Well, so the workforce, we're a single provider model. In some cases, we have more than one provider where we have um, uh, higher demand. What's really important is um, how we interface with patients and how we set expectations with patients around availability of care and wait time for care. So the, um, we utilize um, uh, a waiting list that's based on what the standard times are for um, the different types of visits, and that's how we're able to predict what the wait time will be, and we're able to publish that on our website. So when we talk about the time for a visit, um, we have averages that we use, but it really is for the wait list queuing. Uh, it's less related to the, um, the, the provider productivity. So you said in the, the planning uh, capacity planning for you is easy in the sense that in most cases it's a single provider yeah. there, yep. and so in, in some sense that provider is there whether there's traffic or not, right? You're not sh you're not Absolutely. going from one to zero, but sometimes you go from one to two, right? And you have to plan or forecast for that in advance. Yes, we do. So um, you're 100% right. We um, uh, have the clinic open the hours that we have published, and most of our clinics are not open the exact same hours, but pretty standard. It may vary by a particular geography in regards to what time they open or what time they close. But for the most part, um, they're open 65 hours a week. And yes, um, the provider is there um, regardless of whether we have patient demand or not. Um, from an um, increased capacity, we either have historical information where we know clinics have a higher demand um, for services, and so we ramp up to meet that demand with a um, another provider, and that could be either a, um, a, a medical assistant, it could be a um, LVN, uh, a uh, limited nurse, or it could be another nurse practitioner or PA. In case you're just tuning in, you're listening on Work of Tomorrow here on Business Radio. I'm your host, Christian Tevich, and I have the pleasure of sharing with uh, Sharon Vitti, who is the Senior Vice President and Executive Director at CBS Minute Clinic. Uh, Sharon, when you introduced uh, your background and your career, you used the word disruption. 
you were really the first to pioneer a product category that we now refer to as retail clinics. Mm -hmm. Are you, would you be offended if I, I would say that you are to hospitals what McDonald's one day was to diners and restaurants, namely affordable, consistent food without too many bells and whistles? Or is it, would that, that be something that you would kind of say, like that's kind of somewhat insulting question? <laughs> well, um, I guess I would go at it a few different ways. So one, um, we are joint commission accredited. We are the only retail organization that is joint commission accredited. We're on our fifth accreditation. And that is a regulatory body that accredits um, hospitals and many other healthcare organizations. So I would say, um, you know, that is, that is something between that and our quality program that, uh, to me, puts us on the same level as any other ambulatory care provider. I would say the other thing is consumerism. And so we can call it what we want to call it, but retail health has created another option between primary care and the emergency room. And, uh, and then urgent care has come around also as another option. And I would say um, we have made it easy for patients to get the care they need when they want it. And so, uh, you know, and there are hospitals that run retail clinics also. Um, and so I think when you think about the ambulatory care continuum, you want to – we want to meet the patients where they are. We want to create um, uh, both accessible and affordable care for them that is um, of the same quality that they would receive in any other um, ambulatory care setting, whether it be a hospital, a physician practice, um, or an urgent care. How do you see that category of retail clinics evolving? I mean, where's a, a company like CVS, all the analytics, all the experience <coughs> running retail outlets, uh, the ability to cherry pick locations, you are really in a strong position to compete here. Yeah, I mean, I think that they, I don't think there's any question that um, our healthcare system uh, needs help. Um, we also know that there's plenty of gaps in healthcare, whether it be from an access perspective or whether it be from a provider perspective. So I don't think what CVS Health is doing is any different than what um, other organizations are doing to try to address some of those gaps. And I think that um, CVS Health, uh, we've got a broad footprint. Um, across the country, over 11,000 um, CVS uh, stores and pharmacies that are in the communities where people are um, in the, in the um, more immediately are really looking to receive their care. And so I think using that footprint um, with our 1,100-minute uh, clinics and our pharmacies and our um, ability to meet patients where they are in the community, I think we can help with some of the challenges, some of the hurdles that exist in the healthcare environment right now. Beyond the 1,100 outlets that you have, uh, I noticed it on your website that with the Minute Clinic video, uh, the video visit, and uh, coming out soon, the online visits, there's some exciting new things that you're working on. Uh, tell us a little bit more about those. Yeah, no, great. Uh, thanks for bringing that up. Um, that rounds, that certainly is another component of uh, our key value propositions to, to create, to. Um, to create affordable, accessible, quality care. And so when we think about the telehealth and our telehealth offering, our uh, video visits, um, that is just another um, uh, component to our model which allows patients the ability to access care when they want it and when they need it. So we don't have minute clinics in every state and we don't have minute clinics uh, in every CVS store. And so we thought the, uh, our virtual care option would allow um, patients that um, want to receive care that way or don't have uh, other options um, to uh, have an avenue for uh, getting care in a quality way um, that has many of the same um, pillars 
that we have in place for the Minna clinics, and we just leverage those to create this model. So that's interesting, right? So one use case of your video visit is that I'm living in a rural area or in a state that for whatever reason doesn't have a Minna clinic near me, and so you can basically provide me a virtual visit. But we could also imagine that the virtual visit lets you do some things that in your current staffing model with one nurse practitioner basically per retail clinic you cannot do right now, right? Because on, on the virtual visits you could have you could you could have physicians if you wanted. Um, how, how do you think about those? Yeah, no, I think those are all possibilities. So I think the most important thing was to um, uh, launch the video visits and the platform and to, to successfully deliver care. We have a full quality program that we have in place right now where we do chart reviews on all of these visits. We look at patient experience on these visits, and um, we make sure that the quality of care is at the level it needs to be. I would say from there, we'll continue to expand, and, I, and then I think the platform can be leveraged for many things. So to your point, we could think about um, different types of providers and access to different types of services, whether they, you know, whether they be um, uh, minute clinic services, primary care services, or in other areas. We could also think about using that platform to bring into the clinic uh, different types of providers. Um, we could also think about using that platform across the CVS Health for different um, types of services that support some of our different areas of business, which include could include pharmacy, could include our um, quorum and home infusion, et cetera. So we see this as um, an area that uh, that uh, is an enabler to the future and um, is something that allows us to continue to meet our value propositions for our patients, which are convenient, accessible care that's affordable and of high quality. One thing I've seen in the retailing sector more broadly is that when a company goes omni-channel, meaning like an online yep. channel and a direct in-store channel, there are really various ways of doing this, right? You can either use the traditional channel as a fulfillment for online, or you could have like really two distinct channels. When I would use one of your video visits, will I get Will I talk to a dedicated video nurse, if you let me say it this way, or will I be connected with a store that is currently having access capacity? So right now, um, we have a separate set of providers that are doing the video visits. And we will evolve as we learn more about the when the demand is, what type of services, the, topopi- the um, geographies where these uh, visits are um, in most demand. I think we'll use that information to then get to the next level of of conceivably using some of our existing um, providers uh, that may have excess capacity. I mean, I know this type of data might be confidential, and so, uh, Sharon, feel free to wave your hands here on the radio. Uh, Can you give us a sense of the scale of the video visits right now? Are we talking about 1%, 5% of this uh, kind of retail visits that you have right now? Oh, it's a small percentage. We've only had this out for six weeks, and we're only in 12 states right now. So, And we, we deliberately did that. As I said, um, our ability to pull the data and to look at the quality of, of visits in the experience for patients is the most important piece before we scale this broadly. So, no, it's a small number at this point. But we've been pleased with um, the, um, the uptake and uh, the learnings to date. Tell us about regulation when you're doing something like this. So, uh, I mean, especially there's strong state regulations on something like healthcare. I noticed that you're not with your video visits in, in Pennsylvania. Could I basically video you and, and just tell you that I'm in California and you take care of me? Or are there kind of real strong regulatory guidelines that make sure that basically you're not practicing uh, out of a specific state? 
Yeah, so we have, um, it's a great question, and yes, we need to we need to adhere to all the state regulations. And so in the beginning of the visit, video visit, um, we have questions, and we actually also have the ability to um, get a sense of where the patient is so that we are not delivering care in a state that we cannot, uh, that we're not, you know, we're not uh, able to at this point. So the Achilles was any uh, kind of the uh, traditional delivery model of a service, as you mentioned, access and with access comes friction either through waiting times or to getting to the store. Um, telemedicine has this promise that when I need it, I just press a button on my phone. Um, that creates convenience for the patient, but it, it, it does make capacity planning a whole lot more complicated. Do you have a sense from, I mean, I'm, I'm sure you gave kind of a capacity planning uh, even with the early data you gave, even before you launched, you gave this some thought. Do you have a sense whether the type of needs follow similar kind of demand curves than the ones on that you see retail, or is this online channel just behaving very differently? Um, you know, we're, it's a little too early to tell. We certainly have learned from other folks that are, um, that are in the telehealth world and have been for a little while. Um, so I think we're a little bit still in a, in a wait-and-see mode on that. Um, you know, I think that um, we know that some care will shift, and we're okay with that because I think it, it, is, it gets back to meeting patients where they are and where their needs are. So um, I think the other thing is, as you may well know, telehealth in general has not taken off. The utilization is still very low. Um, and so our hope with having a national program um, that um, is anchored into uh, CVS Health and some of the other offerings that we have. Our hope is that we will see the utilization go up um, in regards to telehealth in general, um, and uh, we'll be able to learn from that. But still too early for us to have a sense of what the trends are. Sharon, what we've often seen in disruption cases in other industries is that companies that once they have established a beachhead in a particular industry, they're, they're moving up market. They, they were in the old days just able to do the simple things. If I'm thinking, well, Toyota started selling cheap cars in the U.S., but now they're selling with a Lexus, a premium car. Could you see yourself using your infrastructure, your analytics capability to move towards more complex indications than what you have in the Minute Clinic right now? Well, I think from the inception of Miniclinic and the acquisition, we have, I think my colleagues will tell me that we started out doing, you know, uh, 25 diagnoses. Um, and we have evolved every year to, um, uh, to increase that scope. Um, I think now we're up to probably um, uh, about 90% of the primary care diagnoses. Um, and I think when we started, we were below 25%. So I think that evolution has been happening, and it's not just a clinic phenomenon in many of the other, both retail health centers and urgent care centers. I think the other thing we have to keep in mind is 50% of our patients that come in uh, to us don't have a primary care provider. And so people are seeking care in different settings where they have access, where they can afford it, and where it works for them. And so we have patients that come back to us multiple times that don't have PCPs and, uh, you know, may have a elevated blood pressure or something to that nature. And so, you know, at this point, we do two things. One, um, with every patient that comes in that doesn't have a PCP, we print out a list of PCPs in the area and we let them know we're not their PCP and we urge that they um, uh, go to uh, get a PCP or we try to help them to do that. With these patients that keep coming back over and over again that have an elevated 
blood pressure or uh, A1C or something like that. Um, we have, in the last year, um, expanded our services to be able to diagnose, um, not only to screen, but to diagnose if they um, are diabetic or hypertensive, and to, again, try to get them into um, uh, care of a PCP, um, but also are helping them manage their, um, their chronic uh, so I think that's a great example of our expanding our care well within the scope of a nurse practitioner or, or a physician's assistant, but also um, really trying to meet the needs of patients that are coming in and are not seeking care with a PCP for whatever reason. Now, you mentioned the underutilization of telemedicine. One example that I've seen in ICU settings is where basically the ICU use the physician mm. at a tele location to kind of bring in that extra expertise. Could you imagine a need for that where you have basically some access to a tele doc where you are seeing something in the <coughs> clinic that is getting to the top of the license of your experienced nurse practitioners? Yeah, no, we could get to that. I mean, right now we have a collaborating physician structure in place for all of our nurse practitioners and our, our physician's assistants, so they have a physician that they can call, uh, especially if there's uh, a question about the care or something in our clinical guidelines. So we have that in place where we, um, uh, and then I could see, yes, that could be a platform in the future um, just because it would enable that conversation uh, in a more um, uh uh, a more virtual way. So we don't have plans right now. We're going to rely on our collaborating physician structure that we currently have, and we'll see where we go with that. Exciting. Sharon, last question. What does the future hold for Minute Clinics? What's going to be, if we look at another five years, ten years down the road, how will Minute Clinics have evolved? I think Minute Clinic will continue to uh, contribute to meeting the uh, or um, overcoming the gaps in care. And so I think we will continue to have a presence in the community delivering high-quality care where, um, in a convenient way where patients live and where they want to receive care. And I think we will continue to develop partnerships and utilize technology to um, advance our model. Says Sharon Vitti, the Senior Vice President and Executive Director at CVS Minute Clinic. Thank you so much, Sharon. Uh, you've been listening to Work of Tomorrow on Business Radio here powered by the Wharton School. If you want to have access to some of our old episodes, check out our website, workoftomorrow.com. At this point, all I have left to do is thank my producer, Matt Tetz, for his wonderful support. We hope you can join us again this coming Monday at 5 p.m. Eastern. I'm Christian Terbisch, and on behalf of all of us here at the Wharton School, thank you for listening. For more guest interviews, check out our Wharton Business Radio Highlights podcast on iTunes and Google Play. 